last week I was in Phoenix doing some leadership training with some uh, some church planters and people who are looking to plant and and I talked about this issue that uh, I thought really ties in well to this the the wrap up of this series that we've been in called Endgame and discovering our destiny and so I've changed it and morphed it a little bit um, but but I want to talk a little bit about today as we wrap up this series about God's call. Uh, and, and, and a commodity that's got to be in place. It's got to be in place in our lives. When we talk about, you know, in, in the church or when Christians or whatever talk about God's call, it usually comes to the understanding that if God's called me to something, uh, it, it, there's going to be an element of fun to it. There's going to be an element of, 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 of happiness to my life if I'm walk, you know, walking in God's steps or whatever, whatever you want to say. Uh, but, but what happens when following God isn't fun and doesn't create happiness and doesn't create joy. What, what, what happens when it's just hard? And, and I started asking myself this question. What keeps one going when nothing goes their way? Like just in general, even. Like what, does, what makes one person quit and another person persevere? What makes one person view a set of circumstances as a sign to stop and another person views the exact same circumstances as just part of the process? You just got to get through that. What, what if God's call is a call to struggle? What if God's call on our life is a call to effort, to perseverance, to the grind? I, I doubt many of us would sign up for that call. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, if I could have one thing from you, just call me to struggle. Does that make sense? Like, that, that's, not, that's not how we, that's not our jam. You know what I'm saying? We, we want something different. What makes us think, like when Jesus said that I've come that you might have life, life in all its fullness, what makes us automatically assume the abundant life is a life of ease? Where in the Bible does it promise ease if we follow God? What if his call, and we're talking about this whole series, discovering your destiny, following his call. What if his call is a call to difficulty? I, I think I discovered why we assume that God's call means ease. And, and here's why I think. Because we don't like the grind. We don't like the struggle. We've undervalued the benefit of the grind. In, in, in my mind, it's no wonder why the young, and whether it's young in age or young in maturity, it's no wonder why the young struggle more and more to find God's call. It's because they also struggle more and more to embrace the grind. When you can't embrace the grind, you struggle with the call because we assume the call is going to be to ease. In other words, it looks like this. If I have to work this hard, it must not be. If it takes this much effort, it must not be. If there's this much pain and difficulty in it, it might not be. And here's what I know, that we languish because we look for ease rather than learning to thrive through the grind. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Are there only like three of you tracking with me at this point? So what part of just keeping at it creates success? We're going to look in the Bible at one who had a definite call of God on his life. He was definitely called by God. But things didn't go so well for him most of the time. He was one of the greatest who just kept at it. He had a definite call in his life. Shaped the world, but it, most of the time it just did not go his way. Here's my fear, that if, if, if we look for what am I made for, what did God call me to, and it just doesn't go our way, what we put our hands to, we assume that God's called to something different. What if he hadn't? Here's this guy. His, there's a little part of his story that he retells. And he doesn't tell it in a sense of being arrogant or prideful. He's not trying to puff himself up. It's just people in his world were comparing him to other people. And he's like, look, the only people we should compare ourselves is to Jesus. But if you want to compare yourself, if you want to compare me to other people, fine. I'll throw down with you. I'll show you my resume. And so it's, it's very hesitantly he shows us his resume of God's call on his life. Second. Corinthians chapter 11. You have a Bible, brought one with you. Go there. It's on the app. You download that app and follow me there. Here's what he says. It's the Apostle Paul. He says, what, are they servants of Christ? And he stops from him. I'm out of my mind to talk like this because I should not be comparing myself who's trying to follow Jesus to how other people follow Jesus. But since you all are trying to make comparisons of us, fine. Are they servants of Christ? I'm more so. He said, I feel stupid in saying this, but fine, I'll play your game. So he said, this is his list of ministry success, of his call. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one and 39 times. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from my fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles. You'd think, Paul, stop and go sell insurance or something. This obviously isn't working. He says, I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger. See, I've been in danger for false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. And I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. He says, he'll go on to say, not only all that stuff, but I carry on my shoulders the burden of every church that I've started and helped lead. When they fall into sin, I suffer along with them. When they're discouraged, I feel that pain. When they're going through the grind of life, I bear all of that inside me emotionally. It's too much. He said, I have worked this. Most of them would say, if you've got to struggle that much, it must not be God's call. You understand? Because we've equated call with ease. If this were our story, how many of us would have quit a long time ago? See, if we measure the evidences of success the way we measure them, we're measuring the wrong things. So there's a lot of pastors that measure success. I got seven venues that I video preach. I got 12 coffee shops, and I got a blue check by my Instagram. 
I, I don't know many pastors that would list these things as their litany of God's call. Because we've equated call with success. According to Paul, what are the measures of call? Look at what he says. What would you say? You start looking at measuring God's call this way? So if I looked at it this way, I would, you know, measures of success change. I've had a life-threatening disease because of the, uh, the, the, the church planning. I've been detained in a foreign country because of church planning. I've cut off parts of my body on the mission field. I carry the life of the church. When you all see difficulty, I feel it. When you're going through grief and you get the news that... I. And so sometimes, even professional Christians... We just want to check out sometimes. Uh, so I understand the idea that, boy, God, I wish you would call me to something easier than this. But what happens when God calls you to this? What makes some keep going when all goes wrong? See, thank God put something inside us that some people have tapped into and others are completely unaware of. And for some, it comes really natural to them. But most don't ever attribute it to God. And I'm going to share it with you. I read a book recently called Grit. Angela Duckworth. Now, it's not a Christian book. It's not a ministry, nothing. It's just a brilliant work that this lady who's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, through her work with West Point and West Point Cadets, discovered this ingredient that was developed in those who reached the highest levels of success. And I was reading this book thinking, okay, I wonder if there's merit to this. And in my world, there's merit to it if I can see it somewhere in the kingdom of God, somewhere in Scripture. And I'm going to share it with you because I think there's great merit because I think it began with God. It was lived out and exhibited in the life of Christ. It was emulated by His people. And you'll miss it if you don't know it, and especially if you don't attribute it to God. This is what Angela Duckworth says about grit. Grit, she says, is the number one predictor and the number one factor of success. It's not talent, it's grit. And she says that grit counts twice as much as talent. We say it like this. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It's grit. Grit is the ability to work hard over a long period of time towards a goal. To persevere, to overcome, to keep moving forward in the face of adversity, failure, discouragement, and obstacles. And here's the thing. Now I want to transition this to God. On the way of following your destiny that was created in you by God, of following your call, you will face challenges, failures, difficulties, and obstacles and setbacks. And those who fulfill their call of God, who walk into their destiny, have grit. They don't quit. Grit is like this. It's like a marathon with a series of sprints combined with a boxing match. 
Because when we're running this race of life that Paul compares the Christian faith to, it is a long marathon race. It's not a short sprint. But during the long marathon race, you've got to run hard and run as fast as you can, all the while taking shots from other people. And we're commanded to have it by God. Did you know you were commanded by God to be gritty? I'm going to show you in the Bible. But when we look at successful organizations, what we see is the success. And we want the success, want to be like that. What we don't see is the leadership and the grit to power through failure and doubt and heartache and difficulty and pain and discouragement. Who? For you basketball folk, go way back in the day. Who was the best basketball coach ever? Who said John Wooden? You're exactly right. John Wooden's the best basketball coach ever. All kinds of national championships, one after another after another another, at UCLA. One of the greatest ever. Did you know that he didn't win his first national championship until his 16th season? 15 straight losers. Pat Summit, one of the other best, greatest basketball coaches in all of human history, women's basketball coach at Tennessee, didn't win her first national championship until her 13th season coaching. We'd love to be Kevin Plank. You know who Kevin Plank is? CEO of Under Armour. You know what Under Armour is, right? We'd love to have his success. He's rolling. He's straight dripping in it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's like, that's what you say now. Just dripping it. Hey, we'd love to be that guy. Now, but not in 1995 when he was working out of the basement of his grandmother's home in Washington, D.C. off of $40,000 of credit card debt to fund his high-performance T-shirt. We'd love to be Bill Belichick now. Do you know Bill Belichick got fired by the Cleveland Browns? <laughs> the Browns. You talk about failure. To get fired from the Browns? Now, all those people of success, they did it for a prize and a success that was good and it was valuable, but that would soon pass. But there's something more eternal. There's something deeper. There's something more profound. Paul says it like this. Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? He's not writing to millennials and helicopter moms. Everybody doesn't get a prize. Everybody doesn't get a trophy. Now, saying you don't get a certificate for participating. He's saying there are winners and there are losers. Don't be a loser. You know, that's what he's saying. They all run. Only one gets a prize. So run in such a way, be gritty enough that you, did you know that nobody who quits a race wins? Do you know that? He's saying be gritty enough not to quit. You've got to win this thing. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Super Bowl trophy is great. But it ain't going to last. We do it to the crown that will last forever. There's something more eternal that we're talking about here. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my body, and I make my body my slave. So after I preach to others, I myself won't be disqualified from the prize. It's grit. Grit is that thing that God has commanded in us that won't let us quit or stay down after we've been hit. 
And it begs the question, if grit drives success, what drives grit? Grit is a gift from God, and we're commanded to have it. I'm going to get there in a minute. Just stay with me. Now, let me make a side note. You do need to know strategically that when the horse is dead, dismount. You understand what I'm saying? When the horse is dead, get off. It ain't going nowhere. That's not most of our problem. Most of our problem is we quit while the horse still got a heartbeat. And we walk away. So be smart, be strategic, be wise. But our problem is that not that we hold on too long, our problem is that we quit too soon. While there might be time to quit a task, there's never time to quit a call. Do you understand? While there may be a time to leave a location, there's never a time to leave the destination. And the destination is a call from Almighty God on your life. And there's never time to walk away from that. I'll give you an example of grit, a definition of grit. This was one of the first Bible verses I had my sons memorize. Because it was one of the first ones I memorized when I was young. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Do it with all your heart as though you're working for the Lord, not for some human master. Since you know that you will receive a reward, an inheritance from him, because it's him you're serving. It's him you're serving. It's grit. Whatever you do, do it with everything you have. As though God Himself has said, this is what I've asked of you in this moment. Give it everything right now. Because He's the one that's called us here. He's the one that asked us of it. Even in the shipwrecks, even in the snake bites. The reward will come not from cheerleaders, but from God Himself if you don't quit. You bring your whole self to the whole moment. That's what he's saying. We have to understand that if we believe God to be sovereign, that he has orchestrated the moments, and if, this, and if that's the case, he knows the moment that I'm in, he knows the moment that you're in, and it seems though he has asked us to be in this moment. So the question is, will we bring our whole self to this moment and not walk away prematurely? Whatever you do, bring your whole self to that whole moment. What I know is this, is that our culture is now languishing because rare is the person that brings their whole self to anything anymore. It's so hard to get people motivated to bring their whole self to anything. Most people don't even bring their whole self to a marriage. And we languish because rare is the person that brings their whole self to anything. Rare is the person that lights themselves on fire and lets the world just watch them burn. Please understand. Please get this. That when passion is a rare commodity and excitement is an anomaly, lives languish in mediocrity. Did you get that? That was good stuff right there. 
We've got to understand that when passion is just a rare commodity, and excitement is the anomaly, that lives languish in this mediocrity of grit. So, grit. You want to know what drives grit? I got like five things. You don't want to know what drives grit? There's like six of you that want to know. You can just be done. You can go get some sleep. I mean, if, if that's the passion we got in this moment, then take a nap. I'm going to tell you anyway. If you stay, then you agree to understand. So here's the deal. Here's, here's what drives grit. Know what you want. Now, n- don't pay attention to anything I say if it's not backed up. With, if it's not in the Bible, don't pay attention to what I say now. This is in the Bible. So pay attention. The thing that drives grit, grit is it's knowing what you want. The Bible says of Jesus in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on whom? On Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. I ain't quitting, He said. You nailed me to the cross, I'm not backing away. Endured the cross, He didn't quit. Scorning its shame, He didn't walk away. And the reward was that He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew what He wanted. Do you know what He wanted? You and me. See, grit thrives when we know what we want. This is as true for following God's call as it is for making your marriage last. What do you want? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? For me, I want to be found faithful regardless of the call. I just want to be found faithful. I want to follow in spite of my failures and in spite of my doubts. What do you want? I want to stay married. I want my kids to grow up with mom and dad at the in home with them. But sometimes it's just a grind. You understand what I'm saying? Following God is just a grind sometimes. You know what? Let me tell you the truth. Marriage is a grind sometimes, right? You guys are so quiet. You're so timid. You're so scared right now. You're, you're not going to. This is why it's hard to preach because you've got to tell the truth. And sometimes y'all don't want to agree with me in the truth. Sometimes marriage is a grind, huh? For other people, not for you, for other people, right? Sometimes you know your friends got to grind through it, right? I mean, not for you, everything's perfect, but other people have to grind through marriage sometimes, right? Some of you are sitting by someone who's got to grind through marriage, but certainly not you. I understand that. Here's a, your vision for what you want and the grit to keep going has got to be greater than the negativity and the difficulties you're facing. Otherwise, you will give up on following God and in your relationships with Him and others. You've got to know what you want. But here's the other thing. You've got to know your why. You've got to know your why. You don't only have to know what you want. You've got to know your why. Why are you going to stay in it? Jesus had to know his why. Paul had to know his why. He floating around in the ocean, the open sea. He had to know his why. You want to know what Flipside's why is? I'll tell you what Flipside's why is. 
Our why is because there's an unseen kingdom that this world needs to know. Our why is because Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's our why. What's your why? What's your why? The power of purpose not only fuels positivity, it drives grit. What's your why? If if your why isn't profound enough and deep enough and eternal enough and strong enough, you will quit. See, when you know your why, you don't let obstacles get in your way. The only reason you let obstacles get in your way is because you don't know your why. And when your purpose is greater than your challenge, you don't give up. You tracking with me? You know what drives grit? Love. Love drives grit. Jesus said that the two greatest, love the Lord your God with most of your heart and part of your mind and when you feel like it. Right? Right? Not at all. He said, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first and greatest thing you could do, and you can't talk about that one without the next one, because the next one is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, everything that's in the Bible hangs on those two things. I can't think of anything better to do with the life than to love God and love His people. I can't think of anything better. And it's when we become motivated by His love for us, and out of response for His love for us, In response to that, that we seek the specific ways God has called me to serve His purpose in the world and expand His kingdom in the world and then go sliding into heaven with your hair on fire. And that's what this is about. You know why love is so important? Let me tell you why love is so important. And this is so important. You've got to get this. You've got to get this. Because this will drive every, this will make everything you do better. Here's why love is so important. Because love outperforms duty every time. Love outperforms duty every time. Think in terms of your relationships. If you're married, I can do this for my spouse because I'm supposed to. Or I can do this because I love them. What's going to produce more? Duty or love? Do you understand? Love every time. It drives grit. If you don't love it, you won't endure the challenges to keep doing it. It drives grit. Love won't quit. Motivated by God's love for us as exhibited by Jesus on the cross, in response to that, we love so much that we'll charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. I'm backing off. Grit is the power to keep going, created by the love. Not just the love that's inside us, but God's love shown to us through the cross of Christ. His love in us for Him. Out of that, I'm motivated. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. He loves me too much to quit on Him. You know what drives grit? Embracing difficulty and embracing failure. I mean, when you look at that list of things that Paul went through, those aren't, we wouldn't look at that and say, man, that guy is just stroking it right now. He does, he's doing great. Those are not great indicators of success. 
See, a big part of grit is knowing that failure is just part of our way. But not allowing failure to stop us and make us quit. See, here's something we got to understand. Failure is not our enemy. Personally, corporate, and then failure is not our Here's why I say that. Because if failure is our enemy, then grace is our antagonist. Good stuff. Because here's the thing. Get this. Grace is the unmerited and undeserved favor and blessing of God. The only way we get unmerited favor, unmerited blessing, is to not deserve it. The reason why we don't deserve it is because we fail. And if failure is our enemy, grace is our antagonist. It's only because of our failure that we have the opportunity for grace. So I will boast in my weaknesses, because in my weaknesses I am strong, Paul says. In my weakness is God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. I ain't going to let failure stop me. See, that's where some people go wrong. They think this is so hard, I felt so often, I can't do it, I'm checking out. When we have grit, we fail and move forward. See, here's the thing. Failure is an event. It's not a destination. Failure may be a moment. Don't make it into a monument. Some of you are still living at the mountain of the monument of failures of your past. It was a moment. You've got grace. Don't create your, the, the moment of your failure to be the monument of your future. Do you understand? You know what drives grit? Greek, man, just ignore the critics and do the work. Ignore the critics and do the work. Paul says in Philippians, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I hadn't arrived. I'm in the grind of it right now. One thing I do. I got grit. One thing I do. I forget what's behind. I strain towards what's ahead. I got grit. I'm not quitting. I press on towards the goal. I'm not quitting. I'm going to win the prize for God's called me heaven where Christ Jesus. I got grit. I'm not stepping aside. See, there was once a leader that transformed the world by healing the sick and loving the unlovable, and they killed him for it. But get this, he was so gritty, he got back up. Do you understand? Fine, crucify me. I'm gritty enough to get back up. Here's where I'm going to prove to you that grit comes from God and we're commanded to be gritty. It's our theme theme verse for Mexico. I learned this verse from my spiritual mentor. His name is Rick McDonald. He's in heaven. In high school, he's one of, he was my, my, my first Pop Warner coach. He was my first coach in high school. He was a shop teacher at our school. And he loved Jesus. And he taught me this verse from Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is our command to be gritty. This is our command 
You don't stop. Here's the thing. Don't expect cheerleaders in your world. What's wor- don't need cheerleaders in your life. We are commanded, regardless of the applause around us, to do not let our zeal be lacking. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you cheer me on. It doesn't matter if you boo me. I will not be lacking in zeal because I'm gritty enough to keep going. Now, here's the thing. This is not self-help. This isn't just be positive. Look at the world through rose-colored glasses. Make yourself happy. That's not what we're talking about. If you're on the Titanic, get off. Don't rearrange the deck chairs. We're not talking about self-help stuff. This is attached to faith in Christ who was gritty enough to endure the cross and scorn the shame, gritty enough to get back up three days later. If you want self-help, all you, if you want self-help, all you get is self-effort. And that ain't going to last. See, this type of grit comes from being in God. Don't be like in a zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The only way you get that type of heavenly grit is to be in God. Now, the Latin language has, a, has, a, has, a, has two words for in God. N, E-N, theos. We have an English word that's derived from the Latin words of being in God. You know what it is? In theos. Enthusiasm. In, to be enthusiastic comes from the Greek words of being in God. It's grit. You want to be enthusiastic? Immerse yourself in, in theos. He creates that grit. He creates that enthusiasm, that zeal. Here, I'm going to say something. You can deny me, and you cannot listen to me, and you can shut me out of yours if you want to, but I need to tell you this, that some of you are in sin because you're not enthusiastic anymore. Some of your greatest sin in life right now is you have no enthusiasm. The greatest detriment to your marriage is that you're not enthusiastic towards them anymore. The greatest harm to your relationship with Jesus is you're no longer enthusiastic about what he's done for you. The greatest harm to your career is that you're no longer enthusiastic about what you are able and to be employed to do. And the result is there is languishing lives because you don't thrive because you're not enthusiastic. We have been commanded to keep our spiritual fervor. Literally, it means to be boiling over with hot water in the Holy Spirit. Some of us wait on circumstances to change to bring us enthusiasm. It's never going to happen. Understand this right now. Get rid of your excuses. I'm not saying live in denial. I'm just saying hear this right now. You are in charge of how enthusiastic you are right now. You are. It's not your spouse's fault if you're not enthusiastic about your marriage. It's not God's fault if you're not enthusiastic about Him. It's your fault. You are in charge of your enthusiasm right now. You are commanded to keep your zeal, to be enthusiastic, and to have grit. God has you in whatever that moment is. And I know some of them are just terrible right now. And you feel like you're shipwrecked. And you feel like you're snakebit. And you feel like you're getting bit, bit just like Paul. Was, but he has you in this moment. Whatever that moment is, be zealous in that moment.
God, I'm going to follow you even in the hell of it, and I'm not letting go until you bless me. Jacob wrestled the angel and had to overcome the angel. He said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I got one more thing. Can I tell you one more thing? I'm hot and sweaty. Here's the thing. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, when Paul gives this whole list of things, what he went through, bitten, left for dead, all that stuff, the very next chapter in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I know this guy. I'm not going to say who he is. I just know this guy. So we all know who he's talking about, right? You ever say this? I know this guy is really struggling with pornography. You know who you're talking about, right? I mean, it's you. So he's like, I know this guy. I'm not going to tell you who he was. I just, I just know this guy. And he was caught up into the third heaven. Not that there's three heavens. He was just talking about the, you know, the heaven, heaven where God is. He goes, I know this guy. I'm not going to tell you who he is. But, you know, it was this guy. And he was caught up into heaven where God was and where he heard unexpressible secrets from God himself. Can you imagine hearing the unexpressible secrets of God? Now, here's the thing. He just got done talking about all these things he was going through, being left for dead. Most people believe, as they study scripture, that he was caught up into heaven by a near-death experience he had when he was beaten with rods and stone and left for dead. And it was in that moment that he heard the inexpressible secrets of Almighty God. Here's the point. Don't miss it. He would not have heard the inexpressible secrets of God had he not almost been killed. Sometimes God calls you to those moments of the difficulty and pain and of death so that he can whisper in your ear the unexpressible secrets that he wants to tell you. Can you imagine? You don't get that stuff from a call to ease. You get it from not letting go until God you give me even if I got to go to hell I know you're going to be there with me just speak to me the inexpressible secrets that you want to tell Sometimes God calls us to those places of pain. Sometimes God calls us to those places of difficulty and sickness and, 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 and frustration. And sometimes because he, he wants to speak to us the untold mysteries of him and his kingdom. Don't let go. Do you want to know the secrets of God bad enough to hold on and not walk away? Jeff, get, I'm going to keep going until you start picking on your guitar. Even when you feel like the call has all gone bad, don't let go. Why? Here's the thing. Now get this. Because God's call creates what it commands. Don't miss that. God's call creates what it commands. When Jesus commanded Lazarus come forth, that call created what it commanded in life that rose Lazarus from the grave. When Jesus commanded seize, be still, that call created, that command created what it called on and the seas died. He has called us to zeal. He has called us to fervor. And the very fact that he's called you to it means that he will create it within you. You just choose it. You choose enthusiasm and you choose grit. I'm not going to let go. You choose to keep your zeal even in your pain. You choose to stay fervent even in 
difficulty. You choose to remain enthused even in the midst of confusion and doubt. You choose to get excited even in the hard times. And the command to stay zealous and gritty creates the ability within you. And the reason we can, the only reason we can, is because Jesus said, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And when things get hard, the world that's out there will tell you to stop, to give up, to let go, to change your direction. Greater is the one in you, Jesus, than the one that is in the world. And because he got up, we get up. And we don't stop. Here's your end game. The whole series boils down to this. Have grit. and Don't quit. Have grit. And don't quit. Why? Because of Jesus. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Just bank on it. That ain't no new news to any of us. In this world, you will have trouble. In your marriage, you will have trouble. In your job, you will have trouble. In your health, you will have trouble. With your finances, you will have trouble. In your hopes, you will have trouble. In your dreams, you will have trouble. In your future, you will have trouble. Just understand that. But take heart, he says. Be gritty, he says. Because though in this world you will have trouble, you'll be gritty because I have overcome the world. And if I'm in you and I'm gritty enough to get up after three days, so are you. You understand? You're in game. Have grit. Don't quit. You will overcome. Not because you're so strong, because His grace is so profound. Grace gritty enough to keep going. You understand? Freaking get enthusiastic about life and about where God has you right now in theos. I refuse to let my zeal lack. I refuse to let my spiritual fervor wane. In Christ, I will be enthusiastic. And I will hold on until He shows up or until I get to heaven. Either way, I'm coming out on top. Pray with me. Father, thank You. Thank You that You love us enough to stay in it for us. That You loved us enough to endure the cross, that You loved us enough to scorn its shame, that You loved us enough to hold on so we wouldn't walk out. In this moment, this is your chance. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be enthusiastic in God. Between you and Him, in the quietness of your own heart, Father, I admit part of my sin is that I've lost my enthusiasm for you, for your kingdom, for my spouse, for my job, for the moment you've called me to. I've not kept my spiritual fervor. I've let myself be lacking in zeal. I'm sorry. I'm not the full picture of who you created me to be. And I got no reason not to be. And so in this moment, I confess my sin. I'm far from you. Thank you that you love me. And I want to make sure you're the leader of my life. Help me be le- zealous. Never lacking in zeal. Renew my spiritual fervor. 
God, I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me or until I get to heaven. Either way, I'm going to hold on. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough.